We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. As today we look at four words that might, uh, I think, outline our study, even though there's so much here. Uh, let me give you the four words, and you can write them down and maybe meditate on it. Uh, first word is anxiety. Anxiety. I wonder if any of you guys ever suffer um, with that. Uh, another word is victory. How many of you here want victory? Uh, the, the third word is sufficiency. And bottom line is, apart from Christ, we're insufficient, but in Him we are sufficient. And then the last word is sincerity. And it's so important for us to have that in our heart. And we learn this as Paul is in the middle of defending his ministry, defending the fact that by the grace of God, he's called to, to be an apostle and to be a pastor. And, and so we read in verse 12 here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by the Lord, I had no rest in my spirit, because I, I did not find Titus my brother. But taking my leave of them, I departed for Macedonia. We begin with uh, anxiety in one sense. And you know, looking at this, I don't know if any of you read this ahead of time. Uh, if you did, and you just really started to look a little deeper, I don't know if you got deep enough. That's what we see here. We see worry. We see, in one sense, anxiety. It's a very strange statement from the Apostle Paul. It doesn't even really sound like him. And I mean, think about it, okay? There he is. He arrives in that great city of Troas, and we know he's called, and he's committed. He's commissioned with that grand and glorious privilege of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was Paul. And, and, and notice, if you would, at verse 12 again, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened to me by who? By the Lord. I mean, the Lord had opened a door for him. That means that Jesus himself gave him this opportunity to preach and teach there in Troas. After all, we know that Jesus is the only one who opens doors, and he closes doors, right, in life and ministry. We read in Revelation chapter 3, verse 7, these things says he, speaking of Jesus, who is holy, he is true, he has the key of David, he who opens and no one shuts and shuts and no one opens. Jesus is in control of open and closed doors. He opens doors of ministry opportunity. What we do is we knock on those doors to see which ones he opens, right? And so typically Paul would, man, he would just bust right through he would go right through those open doors even as we read in first corinthians 16 in verse 8 and 9 he says i will tarry in ephesus until pentecost for a great and effective door has opened to me for ministry paul said i'm staying here because there's an open door that was typically paul's heart and and so it's strange when you read here in second corinthians he he doesn't seem to seize the opportunity to preach. It seems out of place for him. And, and apparently what we find, you guys, is that Paul was struggling at this point. Look at verse 13 again. He said, I had no rest in my spirit. He had no rest in his spirit because he wasn't able to hook up with Brother Titus. I mean, there was things going on. He had no peace of mind, other translations say. 
You know, the word rest, uh, it speaks of a loosening, a relaxing. There was no relief for him. And not just in the physical realm. You know, we're talking about the spiritual realm. Notice again there in verse 13, I had no rest in my spirit. You know, maybe you're here today and you're having a hard time finding rest. You know, maybe it'll be tomorrow. I think a lot of times we go through that, right? You know, and you have problems finding peace of mind. It's a common problem nowadays. Maybe you're even struggling sleeping at night. Anxiety, unfortunately, is a very common problem nowadays. And we have so many, you know, what we would categorize as legitimate reasons to worry and concerns that we carry. You know, as pastors, we can easily worry about the church. As parents, we can easily worry about our children. And what we find is that that's kind of where Paul was, worried in one sense about the church in Corinth, worried in one sense about his children in Corinth. I hope that, you know, we can kind of identify with that. But the truth is this. I got to say this. We, we shouldn't worry. We shouldn't. We shouldn't be anxious, the Bible says, for anything. It's not what God wants. Jesus actually commanded us not to worry four times in the Gospel of Matthew. And remember those beautiful words he, he said in, in Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. You know, Paul knew this. Paul knew. He's the one who wrote Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, Be anxious for nothing. He knew that. And so, you know, you read this right here and you might ask, well, what was this man Paul struggling with? Why was it that this man Paul had no rest? It was because he was just a man. And even though he was one of the greatest ministers ever, you know, we need to remember that even the best of men are men at best. And we fail, and most of us probably even struggle or fail frequently. And I, and, I, and I read this right here, and I'll just be honest with you. I love the transparency uh, that Paul is just kind of saying, I had no rest in my spirit, even though Jesus Christ opened a door for me to preach the gospel here in Troas. I was struggling. I was having a hard time. I was worried about what was going on in the church. That's where he's at. So he actually, I mean, unbelievably, incredibly, amazingly left Troas. And he traveled across the great Macedonian Sea to the province of Macedonia. You know, basically what happened, and if you kind of follow the chronology, I think this is where it works. First, they planted the church in Corinth. And you can read about that in Acts 18, 1 through 17. Afterwards, somewhere along the line, he received a report. It was a report that reported trouble in the church. And so he wrote 1 Corinthians, right? And we have that letter in our Bible. He wrote that uh, things still weren't settled down. There was still trouble going on. And so what he did was he visited Corinth after that. Watch. Put your marker here and go over to 2 Corinthians chapter 13. And look at verse 1. He says, this will be the third time I am coming to you. 2 Corinthians 13.1. So here he is, 2 Corinthians, writing it. We know about his first visit. Somewhere in there, there was a second visit. 
And next time Paul comes to them, according to 2 Corinthians 13, 1, it'll be the third visit. So he had gone there, and, and what happened after that visit was things went from bad to worse. Um, it was uh, trouble to horrible. And that was a real bad visit. So what he did next was he wrote a letter and he sent it with Titus. And he said, Titus, this is going to be the heartbreaking letter. This is a letter we wrote, talked about last week. It was a love letter. It was a communication that needed to take place in order for them you know, to get right with the Lord. And it was a heavy, heavy, heavy letter. And he sent it with Titus and he said, okay, this is what I want you to do. I want you to take this letter to Corinth. I want you to take it to the church. And then I want you to come back and I want you to meet me in Troas and tell me what happened. So he goes to Troas and Titus wasn't there. You know, and they couldn't pick up the phone and say, hey, what's up? Where are you, man? You know, and so he's struggling. And, And I don't know if you've ever been there where just things are so heavy on your heart. It, like I said, it, for me, it could be the church. It, it could be our children. Those are the big things, I think, for a lot of us at times. And, and you, know, it just, you know, you even might have other opportunities and other things that just seem so wonderful, but you've, you're just having a hard time functioning. And, and that's where Paul was. He was struggling, even though there was doors that God had opened to him for ministry and to preach and to teach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He had no rest in his spirit because Titus wasn't there and he didn't know what was going on with the Corinthian church. You know, when I read this, I think in one sentence comforting because all of us struggle. You know, we all struggle at times. I, I think in one sense in the area of worry and and restlessness, especially when it's due to love for your loved ones. You know, God is so gracious, and we're going to see in our study today, that even in spite of that, God will still lead us in victory. Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not telling you to worry um, by any means. I've found in my life, and I've learned this, that when I trust the Lord, and I keep my eyes on him, even in the situations that I think are so difficult and impossible, and I see, and I'm specifically thinking of situations right now in my mind where I see no answer in sight. I have found that when I just trust the Lord, he gives me a peace that surpasses understanding. And what I've found in life is that those times when I trust the Lord is when he totally flexes his muscles. So again, I'm not saying, you know, that that you should worry. But I'm just saying that when you do, and when you struggle, when you're having a hard time, I want you to know that God doesn't give up on you. That God will still lead us in victory. I think that's where, where Paul was, you know. I mean, thank God he doesn't, you know, give us what we deserve, huh? <laughs> I remember when we first came to Almani, and I, some of you know this story, but you know maybe some of you don't. When I, the very first time I wanted to just see what the Lord would do in the, in the city of Almani, uh, I was uh, on staff at another church in West Covina, and and uh, I just came to to Almani, and I just started sharing with people on the streets. You know, hey, do you know Jesus? Uh, I didn't have anything else other than just wanting to share the gospel on the streets. And then what ended up happening was uh, a couple of young guys got saved. 
And so I asked them, I said, hey, can, you, can I have a Bible study at your house? Would that be okay if I met with you? And they said, sure. And so the next time I went to the house, they had their friends there, and five more guys got saved. And so now there were seven guys that just got saved, and there were young guys. And in one sense, you know, you would think, wow, this is an ideal situation, right? But what happened is um, after that second Bible study, I remember driving back, you know, home and just thoroughly convinced in my heart that I couldn't do this, that there's no way that I could do this. And I just thought, what are you doing? You know, like, you're a fool. I mean, you can't do this. And you want to know something? Even though I was supposed to meet them the following week, I never went back. And then I just kind of gave up. And it was kind of like Paul, struggling, worrying, anxiety. I can't do this. I'm insufficient. We're going to see that's a factor later. But did God give up on me? No. A year later, uh, by the grace of God, I did the same thing. And the Lord put it back in my heart, and the Lord gave me the courage. And with the support of my wife, that's how the church started. I went and I went street witnessing in, in Valley Mall. And then just one thing led to another. But see, I just am so grateful that God knows that we're made of dust, that he knows we struggle, and he doesn't give up on us. And even the best of men struggle at times. And that's where Paul was. He, he can still lead us in triumph. That's what we read next. Again, notice there in, in verse 14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, in Christ. And so, dealing with the anxiety, thank God for his grace, then we come to this wonderful principle of victory. Isn't that a beautiful promise that God always leads us in triumph in Christ? How many of you here are Christians? Okay, if you're a Christian, then God will always lead you in triumph. If you're not a Christian, can you repeat this prayer after me? No, I'm just done. You should. <laughs> Except Jesus Christ in your life. What are you waiting for, man? Why? He will always lead you in triumph. That's what the promise is for us as Christians. As God's disciples, we can depend on God's divine directions. We are loved and we are led by the Lord. And to me, that's a wonderful promise. I love and I've always shared this with you, Nehemiah 9, verse 12. Moreover, you led them by day with a cloudy pillar and by night with a pillar of fire to give them light on the road which they should travel. That's a beautiful picture of how God leads us. Sometimes it's easy. It's like daytime. You're like, this is clear. Sometimes it's like night. You have no idea what he's doing and it doesn't make sense, but he's still leading you. He always leads us in triumph. Yeah, but Manny, you don't know the struggles I'm having right now. And I know you guys are struggling, you know, but let me just ask you a question. Are you a Christian? Are you his? Then he's leading you and me to victory. You know, praise God for that. We should, right here, Paul praises God for that. Look at verse 14. Thanks be to God. He praises him. He thanks him with gratitude because he's always leading us in triumph. He knows the way to win. God does. And so let me also say this. He knows the way to win. He's always leading us in triumph, that we need to do our best to make sure that we are led by the Lord, that we are following him. And if I could just say this, even, even you know, more so, led by the Lord and no one else. 
Okay, if you're following some other man, no matter how wonderful he might be, then you're committing idolatry. I, I liken it to, to GPS. How many of you guys love GPS? One of the most wonderful inventions, especially for those of us who are directionally challenged. Amen? You know, but did you guys know that sometimes GPS leads us astray? You guys know that, right? I remember one time I was looking for the Apple store and I think it was Ontario. I ended up in the boonies. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> Very rarely, but every once in a while, right? But, you know, uh, truckers use it a lot. Uh, according to a New York State Department of Transportation study, however, over 200 bridge accidents per year have occurred in New York since 2005, and more than 80% of bridge strikes are caused by misdirection from GPS devices. As a matter of fact, uh, relying on faulty GPS directions led one trucker on a path to destruction and imprisonment as he was misdirected to the route via his GPS. And once on this highway, he couldn't turn around. He ended up slamming into a man and his 12-year-old daughter, and he killed them both. You know, and, and, and so the truth is GPS just might lead us the wrong way. Wonderful people might steer us the wrong way. This is why I need to say you need to follow the Lord. Pray about it. Talk to him. Hear his voice. Get his word. Get their counsel. Make sure their counsel is rooted in God's word because God is the one who leads us always in triumph. Follow the Lord, you guys. Don't get lazy. Follow the Lord. They might lead you astray the wrong way, but God always leads us in triumph. You know, the Greek word translated triumph, it comes to us from a word meaning a hymn song in festive processions in honor to God. That's the, the Greek view. The, the English dictionary defines triumph as a great victory. Not just victory, but a great victory, success, or achievement. It's great. But, you know, the Roman view is really what Paul is wanting to share here. That's the picture he's painting. It's called the Roman triumph. And then what that was was a special tribute that Romans gave to their conquering generals. But it had to meet certain criteria. Um, if a general won a complete victory over the enemy on foreign soil, and if he killed at least 5,000 enemy soldiers and, and gained new territory for the emperor, then the general was entitled to a, what they called a Roman triumph. The processional would include the commander riding in a golden chariot. Think about that. Surrounded by his officers and the Senate would be in the parade and the parade would include a display of the, all the spoils of the battle as well as the captive enemy soldiers. And the Roman priests would be a part of it. They would be carrying burning incense to pay tribute to the victorious army and the procession. It was this huge I mean, way you know, more glorious, I think, than, than even the Rose Parade because this is like this amazing victory and it's just uh, something about it. They, you know, they say that you probably only experienced once in, in a lifetime. It was just huge. And they would follow this special route through the city and they would end up at what was called the Circus Maximus where the helpless captives would then entertain the people by fighting wild beasts and eventually be executed. It was a very special day in Rome when the citizens were treated to a full-scale Roman triumph. That's what they called it, triumph. We're in that triumph. We are in it. We are in it now. 
God always leads us. Jesus, our general, always leads us in triumph. And that's what Paul is saying. You know, uh, Jesus is the general. He's won the victory and his people. We are part of this procession, this grand and glorious victory parade. And as Christians, even though we struggle, we're saved. And we're soldiers. And we're in such a triumph that even those valleries, those valleys will end up being victories. You know, I, uh, I, I was you know, doing some research on it. We're going to see it later in 2 Corinthians. When Paul finally did meet up with Titus in Macedonia, he got good news. And he said, just to let you know, Paul, that letter, it brought most of them to repentance. There's still a, a minority there. And it's probably, unfortunately, it's probably going to be like that in every church. I was thinking about this afterwards. I'm like, Lord, can't 100% be on board? And the Lord said, you know what? They're just men, Maddie. It's, not, it's, not, it's probably never going to be that way, you know? But Paul was so blessed. He was so blessed because the majority of them had come to that place of repentance. And so it was that victory that he experienced, the good news from Titus, that reminded Paul that in spite of him, not in light of him, even though he struggled with worry and anxiety, God was still leading him, always leading him, in victory. And so, you know, we need to wear our names and bear our names. You guys are victorious. You guys know that? So all the guys, I'm going to give you a new name. Are you ready? Victor. Let's call each other Victor today. And all the gals, Victoria. Okay? Some of you already are. <laughs> and so remember this, you guys. Uh, your Lord will always lead you in triumph. I pray that encourages you. You know, we... You know, here's the thing, okay? But you're like, Manny, I'm just not that good at following, you know? And let me ask you a question. Will, will you at least try? Will you try? Because if you try, you will triumph, okay? I want you to know that. <laughs> just never stop trying. We fight from victory, not for victory. The victory has already been won. The war has already been won. But we still have these little scuffles and battles to fight. And so remember, you guys, you're not a victim. Stop looking at yourself in the mirror and labeling yourself as a victim for this and that or the other. Yeah, I know we've gone through hard times, but God is able to use everything in your life for his glory. You're victors. And so we read here, look, it says in verse 14, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us, diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place for we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one we are the aroma of death leading to death and to the other the aroma of life leading to life you know in this parade it's kind of cool Jesus is our general and so he's leading us in the way right but we're in the parade it's kind of like in this Christian life, we're in this procession, we're in this Roman triumph, we're in this parade. His part is he won the war. Our part is we got to smell good. Okay, that's what he's basically saying, you know. In this procession called a Roman triumph, the priests uh, were, were there. And some of you, maybe you remember, any of you here have a Catholic church background? And you remember the incense? Do you guys remember that? It was just like that, that that metal thing that would just kind of go back and forth and hit the chain. You guys remember that? How many of you liked that smell? 
How many of you here didn't? Just curious. Most of you have no opinion. <laughs> it's okay. I liked it. I don't know why. There's this, it, you know, I'm just weird. <laughs> but um, that was a, the priest was doing that. And as that smell was going out, all the people who were victorious, all the Romans, all those who were part of the procession, it was a smell of victory. But to those who were on their way to the lions, it was a smell of death. And that's what Paul is saying right here. And, and for us, you guys, um, it's important for us to know this. As we're part of this, I think Paul is teaching us that we need to kind of have a certain scent as saints. To the victors, the perfume from the censors would be the perfume of joy and triumph and life. But to the wretched captives who walked so short a distance ahead, it was the perfume of death. And what we find is that, here's the thing, Jesus is not only the central fighter, he is also the central fragrance in the lives of Christians who are following him. Let him fight for you, but we need to be the fragrance for him. In one sense, we're not only supposed to tell, we're also supposed to smell like Jesus. As we follow him, God will work through us, and what he'll do is he'll diffuse or he'll manifest the fragrance of his knowledge. As one translation puts it, and through us spreads everywhere the fragrance of the knowledge of him, or another says that he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. You know, how many of you gals here wear perfume, if you don't mind me asking? How about you guys? Do you guys wear cologne? Two. <laughs> After shave? Deodorant? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> You know, you want to smell good, right? We want to smell good physically. I remember one time I was going through Ecclesiastes, and the Lord really spoke to me in a little verse there. He just said, always anoint yourself with oil. And, and, uh, and so from that day on, I just, every once in a while, I mean, every day, I just put a little bit of uh, smell good stuff on, wanting to smell good, right? And, uh, and yet, at the same time, the Lord ministering to me that it's the oil. It, to them, back then, it was oil that made them smell good. For us, we know that oil is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit is filling our life, and when the Holy Spirit is leading our life, we're going to smell good. And people will notice. And you go out on the highways and byways, and there you are at work or a family get-together. And, you know, those who are open to the Lord, you smell so good to them. They need Jesus. And others, that they, 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 it repels them. And that's all Paul is saying. To some were the aroma of life leading to life, and to others were the aroma of death leading to death. You know, we need to smell like the, the Savior. You know, I pray that when you guys are, you are so filled with the Holy Spirit that when you speak, they can smell his breath in your words. That when you sweat, they can smell his sweat in your works. I pray that they would smell his blood on you and the way that you accurately and faithfully and graciously and lovingly preach the gospel to people. I hope we can one day come to that place. Look at what Paul says in verse 14. Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge. Where? In every place. Everywhere you go. Man, you smell good. Right? And you guys know what I'm talking about. To some, we are the fragrance of life for those who are being saved, but to others, we are the fragrance of death to those who are perishing. You've probably heard that, that saying. You know, while on earth, there are many choices, but eternity only offers two, heaven and hell. 
life and death. That's what Moses said. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19, I call heaven and earth as witnesses today against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. There's only two choices. So he says, choose life that both you and your descendants may live. So someone says, wait a minute, you know, Ezekiel 33.11 says that God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, and you're talking about death, and, and that's true. That's why he sent his son to do everything he can so that you won't die in hell forever. But you're not a robot. You're not a robot. You have volition. You have free will. You must choose life or death. That's the only two options. God does not take pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that does not mean that the wicked do not die. You need to make sure that you're covered with the righteousness of Jesus by turning from your sins and simply trusting him as the Lord and Savior of your life. Give him your heart. Give him your heart. Let me just ask you a question. If everyone here could just answer this in their own heart, whose side are you on? Have you chosen Christ as the Lord and Savior of your life? I pray that as Christians you've done that. You know, we're imperfect as Christians, so you might even have times of anxiety, but we're still part of this victory, uh, trying to smell good and to, in one sense, be good and to preach that good news. It's an awesome ministry. Reality, if you think about it, heaven and hell, these are big things. And that's, I think, what leads Paul to that question at the end of verse 16. And who is sufficient for these things? I mean, you're, Manny, you're telling me i got to smell good? <laughs> and you're telling me, you know, that, uh, you know, that you know, i got to preach the gospel and I've got to do all these different things and maybe that God might even use my life. And I, I really hope that you guys know it's not just pastors or evangelists or you know, people who have some, you know, type of formal position in church ministry, no way. As a matter of fact, I would see, I would probably say in many ways, even more so, you're the ones out there on the front lines. You're the ones that need to take that scent out into a world that's dying every single day. You have that ministry of heaven and hell. You do. And it's a heavy thing. And so Paul says in one sense, well, who, who's sufficient for these things? He asks that question there. Who, who literally in the Greek language is enough? Who's, who's enough? Who's good enough? Who's worthy? Who is able? One translation says, who's equal to such a task? Or who is adequate for such a task as this? And maybe you're here today and you're saying, I am. Well, you're in big trouble, <laughs> I am. I'm very gifted. I'm very godly. I'm holy. I have a good heart. And I'm also humble. <laughs> I'm ready. I'm steady. I'm stable. I'm able. I can do it. You know what? Paul didn't have that heart. None of us are. If you think you're worthy, you've just disqualified yourself. If you think you're the one, oh, I'm the one. You know what? You better watch out because lightning's about to strike. You're not the one. Humble yourself. And then once you come to that place like Moses who said, you know what? I can't speak. 
Or, you know, you come to that place like David and he sits down and he says, who am I in my family? Or you come to that place like Peter, he said, depart from me, Lord. I'm such a sinner. When you come to that place, then you're ready. That's where Paul was and that's where Paul stayed. He's not sufficient, but look at chapter 3 in verse 5. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. See, it must be totally and completely outside of yourself. Stop saying this or that about yourself and get get your eyes on the Lord. One translation says, it's not that we think we're qualified to do anything on our own. Our qualification, it comes from God. And and the Lord just teaches us, I think, real important biblical principles about anxiety, about victory, about sufficiency. What does the Bible say in John 15, 5? Apart from you, I can do nothing. Nada, zero, zip. You know, we mess people up (laughs) when it's us. But what's in, when it's the Lord, we can actually lift people up. See? And, and so Paul closes here in, in verse 17. For we are not as so many peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. You know, there's that. You know, that anxiety, there's the victory, there's a sufficiency, and then there's a sincerity. And all these are principles, I think, that we need to make sure we have in our heart. You know, they were accusing Paul of doing this, and it just, it's crazy. You know, I don't know if there was probably ever a more sincere uh, person, but they were accusing him of being a guy who peddles the word of God. The, the, the word translated peddling has its origin from a Greek word meaning to huckster. A huckster is someone who always is always looking to make some money for themselves. Uh, This is a corrupt person who preaches the gospel for personal profit. And there's a lot of people, unfortunately, out there like that today. You guys know that, right? And I got to tell you that. When those guys are on TV or maybe even sometimes on the radio or you hear their books or whatever and they're asking for money, you guys are more, you guys are smarter than that, right? I pray that you you would be, that you would know that those are peddlers. Um, Like I was watching, actually, Eyewitness News of all places, the 4 o'clock news and I, I, one of the top stories is about Creflo Dollar. You guys probably heard about him. And he was, ac- he was asking, you know, he sent a message out uh, for 200,000 people to give $300 so that he could raise $65 million to buy a jet plane, <laughs> right? And so I was thinking, Lord, maybe I can ask the church in Almani to, to <laughs> I was just thinking, like, a, just a limo, you know? <laughs> And they could take me, hey, let's go preach the gospel over there, over there. And I mean, how crazy is that? Paul, Paul the apostle didn't have a jet plane, right? But there's a reason his name is Creflo Dollar. Uh, I don't know if he changed his name or what, but I mean, it's like God is saying it's so obvious. This guy is off the wall. You know, I mean, I was reading, just kind of seeing these crazy guys, Benny Hinn, worth $40 million. Creflo Dollar, believe it or not, is worth more, $50 million, they say. I mean, that's, you know, one day they're going to stand before God, 
and God has a hot spot in hell for them. Because those who know more, they're going to be judged greater. And those who cause these little children to stumble, Jesus said it would be better for them to tie a thousand-pound rock around their neck and throw them into the deepest ocean. Paul said, we're not like that. We are not as many out there peddling the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as from God, we speak in the sight of God in Christ. And what he's basically saying is our words and our message is approved by God. They have his stamp of approval because he is the one who sent us. And it's so cool because he's writing this letter just to bring them back to that place so that he can once again minister to them because of the fact that he loves them. And I think woven into all this thing, it's kind of cool. You guys probably know that today's Palm Sunday, right? And maybe you're like, man, you didn't do a Palm Sunday message. And and I, you know, I go back and forth. Some years we do, and, and some years we don't. We're entering into Passion Week now, and I do pray that the Lord would uh, just draw you close to him this week as we head towards Good Friday and Easter service and uh, that it would be a, a, a beautiful week. But yeah, it started on Palm Sunday. That was the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey. Um, the, the prophecy of Daniel was fulfilled, um, March 14, 445 B.C., 69 seven-year periods, 173,880 days, brought him to Abel 6, 32 A.D., and the very day... He rode into Jerusalem on the donkey, and all the people, what were they doing? They were waving palm branches, right? Thursday, we were talking about how in the sanctuary, in the temple, that they had these palm trees everywhere, palm trees just scattered everywhere. We're like, well, what's up with that? What are the palm trees all about? Well, in that culture, the palm trees were symbolic of victory, victory. And as Jesus rides into your life, And that's what he was doing there in Jerusalem. He was just writing. He was presenting himself. And all the people had to make a choice. Would they receive him or not? Would they follow him or not? They had to make a choice. The same thing happens today. As Jesus rides into your life and he presents himself to you. And you see him as the victorious one prophesied in Psalm 118. What will you decide? Life or death? My prayer is that today all of us would choose life. And some of you, most of you already have. But if you haven't, I pray that today would be the day that you choose uh, the victory. Lord, we, we thank you so much for your word, for your love, for your grace in our life. I thank you that even in spite of our anxieties, you don't give up on us. I pray that you continue to work in our hearts that we would face these situations just by trusting you more and have a peace that surpasses understanding. But when we do struggle, thank you for giving us grace. Thank you for the victory, Lord, that we have. Even as you did your part and you you won the, the battle, and now we all have to all we have to do is smell good. Lord, I pray that you would work in us and that we would know our sufficiency is from you because then we depend on you, Lord. And when we depend on you, then you work through us. And that's what we want. 
Lord, I pray that you just bless your people. And I pray, Lord, that there would be that sincerity about us, that we're not doing this for, for money. We're not doing this to make a name for ourselves. We're not doing this for a pat on the back from other, some other man. That we're doing this because you died for us. You died for us. And those people out there, Lord, they need you. And we love them. So, Lord, we pray that you do a mighty work. And if there's anyone here today who needs to receive you, that today is the day of salvation, Lord, I pray that you would work and that you would bring that to pass. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.